Hi, you guys, and welcome back to Simple Homesteading Life Podcast. I am Anne, and today we're going to talk about winterizing the property and what does that mean. We're going to talk about not only the physical aspects of getting it done, but the switching from high gear, warm weather into the emotional aspects of what winter brings for many of us and how we can actually successfully get through this winter and then actually enjoy it which has been difficult for me in the past. But this year, I've got a new game plan, and I'm really excited to go over it with you guys because I think it is going to truly help many of you guys in the long run survive winter months as we struggle to get through it. It has been a hot minute since you and I have actually sat down and chatted and talked about anything. I think it was since the beginning of summer. Because, you know, as you know, homesteading is a priority to me first before anything else, before the brand, before the business aspect of it, before anything, because this is what feeds my family in the long run. And when I say long run, throughout the winter into early spring months, and from there, you know, we got to start all over again. So with that said, thank you for being here and welcome back. And I'm excited to actually jump back into it. I've got some new things going on that I really want to start sharing with you guys. 2021 is going to be a really exciting year, but... For right now, let's talk about just wrapping up the property, going into fall and preparing into winter and seeing what happens that we can actually get through it successfully without getting the blues and where we're at. But let's start with the garden. Okay, let's really start where we just finished. I don't know about you, but for me, the garden was a very difficult time for us this year. This was the first year in a long time that we struggled, struggled throughout the garden. Part of it was my fault because I do know that I have a maple that is just encroaching into the garden space and it's blocked a lot of sun for us. So we had a lot of stagnant growth in that side of the garden and I'm really disappointed in that. So we came up with a game plan. We've got um, a little uh, individual that will be coming out and actually taking down a couple of trees from us that are looming over our house. So I've contracted him to actually come out as well too, to work with Justin to take back the maple, not take it down because it is a cluster maple, which gives us great maple syrup, which we'll be tapping for the first time this spring. And um, I'm really excited about that. But anyways, so the garden did not thrive as much as I thought it was going to be. And on top of that, our alders that normally when we first bought the property are now just growing, growing, growing. So we need to drop those as well too, because I think that's playing a huge impact on um, afternoon sun and into the summer months where the sun would have been strongest at its peak. We're only getting kind of pickaboo sun in that sense. And we need to really drop some more property in order to ensure that the garden is going to give us a lot of growing space. On top of my tree problems, we actually, you know, I, I don't know if you guys know where I live. I live in the mountains, basically on the side of a mountain. I could, I always say this, I could high five the mountainside from my bedroom window. That's how close it is. So we are completely surrounded by trees. And I think if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook, you'll see, you know, every time I pan in, I'm like, this is where I live. And it's very difficult. And now we're going to go into that more when I talk about like the emotions behind the winter months coming up. Um, so um, on top of that, I live on the coastal side of the Pacific Northwest in Washington state, and it is wet and rainy and cool all the time. Like I am much cooler than my counterparts who live down the mountain for me. As crazy as that is, it's true. They get more sunlight, so they're a lot warmer. And if you go into town, we're five degrees different based on elevation. So we struggle as a whole. I mean, there's just no way around it. So the garden, mm, whatever. 
Um, however, the um, kitchen garden, the plunger, was really thriving this year, which was really surprised because I only planted a late summer and then early fall garden into it. And it did amazing because it received a great amount of sunlight from where it's at. So, yes, I will be maximizing that quite extensively going forward. And then with the trees getting dropped and praying that the weather actually holds its ground a little bit more next year, I really plan on having a lot more. If you go onto my Instagram stories, you'll see what I've been harvesting in this last couple of um, this last week of coming back from the Homesteaders of America conference. Um, it was leeks basically, which were late getting pulled out. And then on top of that, it was, um, Oh, uh, my green tomatoes and the last stragglers of everything. I had one acorn squash left, and I'm sorry, one butternut squash left on there, one um, spaghetti squash left on there, and one zucchini that were just, you know, I'm just letting them go until they can mature. And then I came home and I harvested them. I harvested a handful of cayenne peppers as well, too. Um, just little things. I'm still waiting for the beets to mature out of the garden bed, and I'm waiting for the carrots to mature. Um, the kohlrabi that should be have already been harvested at this point. Too much rain for it, so I think I'm gonna throw and I've said this a polytunnel up, and I'm gonna have Justin do that this weekend over that to see if we can get a little bit of longer growth time out of those things. So garden failed, that's okay. Farmers market didn't happen, that's okay. But I have enough of our staples to put up. So instead of putting up a lot of red tomato sauce, I have a lot of green tomato sauce. Instead of putting up, you know, a lot of carrots, I have a medium amount of carrots. It, this yeah, things like that. But we make do with what we have and we move forward from there. And of course, we'll eat everything before we actually swing back into the markets. I mean, we live in a modern society. Even, you know, our forefathers at any point in time still had to shop at some point by their local mercantile mercantile to buy the things that they didn't have. So I'm okay with that. I, I truly i am okay with that. I hate butchering animals in October. I hate it. I hate it for a couple of reasons. My main reason is because you never know what the weather is going to be like in the Pacific Northwest. One minute they say it's going to be nice. We schedule that day to, to butcher animals. And then all of a sudden it just drops on us and we don't know what we're going to do. I have to pitch up tents, you know, those little canopy tents, you know, get everything underneath there to do it. But the deed needs to get done regardless. I mean, our main harvest has actually already happened. All of our you know, all the ducks are in the freezer, all the chickens in the freezer. So the last thing we're harvesting during this time are basically uh, livestock that we just need to pick through because what we do in the winter months is, is that we minimize what we have on the property to number one, cut back the cost because we're not able to offer fresh during this time. So we, we, we pick and choose basically our best producing, best protecting, best, um, of breed animals possible to keep through the winter months. And that includes um, our rabbit team, our duck team, our, you know, my, my, my babies, my goose, you know, that the turkeys, um, the Muscovies are new to us, the chickens, the extra roosters that are laying around. So this is what we do in October. And I usually wait when I come back from the Homesteaders America conference to do this only because I really have to think about the team that I have on hand. So some of you guys may or may not know, I don't even know if I've actually really talked about this. We have had predator issues extensively on the property. Yes, I know you guys are going to tell me, get a livestock guardian, get a donkey, get whatever. But you cannot tell an individual to do that if you don't know the layout of their land. And it is difficult, even though I am on two acres, for the layout of my land to place you know, a livestock guardian right now and even a donkey right now or whatever the case is. So we are making arrangements. 
um, with our neighbor to incorporate some type of guardian onto the property. And um, hopefully by this coming up spring, it'll be fine. The next fun thing we're going to be incorporating will be pigs, but that's a different topic. So anyways, so what do I go through? I keep the best turkey breed, uh, the best roosters on my property. Now, luckily I have no aggressive roosters at this moment in time. I do have enough hens to supplement the amount of roosters that I have that nobody's getting picked on or being oversexed in any way, shape or form but I still have probably three or four too many. And so what I'll do is, is that I'll band all my roosters and I, they get two different bands, three, I'm sorry, one, the keep one, not keeping. And then one I need to watch for. And then from there we watch the, um, the personalities of the birds to see where they're at. Like I have some roosters that are so afraid of the other roosters that they don't do anything but perch really high. That's a waste for me. Do, are they potential at that point to step up after these other roos are gone? possibly, but you never know. So I like to keep my more protective boys front and center. And then from there, I'll pick based on production. Is this next rooster that's questionable going to, um, you know, going to amount up to anything? Does he fit into maybe an egg production color that I want? Or does he have the potential to truly watch the flock? And you'll see their personalities come out when you cull the ones that just don't make it, right? And then on top of that, I've got to go through my my goose team. As much as I love them, and I do love them, and my heart, oh my gosh, I do love my geese. However, I can't be stuck out of the eight of them with five ganders and three goose. I can't geese. I can't geese. Yeah, I can't. It just doesn't work. There's not a need for that. So out of the Toulouse, and out of the buffs that I have on the property, I will establish a team for both. If I end up having one gander to two geese, I will be happy of it per breed. Um, but if I only have one goose to three ganders of the Toulouse, for example, I'm only keeping one in one. So that is going to be a hard time for me. And I'm not going to lie about that. I love my geese so much. Um, but there's no point in feeding them all the way through and becoming... Um, you know, just because they eat so much that it would be difficult at that point to really, as a sustainable homesteader, hold on to them to that degree. So I do need to pick my breeding pair. Um, I have procrastinated on that, but I need to step up to the game for something like that. Now let's talk real quick about waterfowl and my turkeys. My turkeys are, um, you know, I keep a breeding pair onto the property. I used to raise like multiple breeds because I didn't know which breed I wanted to raise at that moment in time, but I do raise blue slates now and I've narrowed it down to that. And the reason why is because I have two acres. Um, they are only on a certain amount of those two acres and they fit the property size. So when you're choosing your livestock, make sure you keep that in mind. I would love to raise Narragansetts but they are a bigger breed and they, that means number one, consuming more feed. Number two, um, free ranging, they would need a little bit more space for something like that. So I've opted to raise a smaller out of the, all the heritage breeds. And I love my blue slates. They're absolutely stunning. Um, one day I'll have Narragansett's back on the property. If not this property, then another property, but my blue slates, it is, um, I do have a tom to two hens. And then from there, I will go ahead and butcher out one of my hens for the Thanksgiving dinner. And I will reserve the goose for holiday, like Christmas and Thanksgiving and things like that. So that's how that falls. Now my Muscovies, oh, this is the first year for them. And um, I'm excited for this because I know the meat will be much different than what they are for ducks. Um, I have a very mean one. I call him Dracula. He is obnoxiously mean and he hates me. 
nobody else, just me. And so Dra Dracula out of the three drakes that I have will be going into the freezer. Um, but because I only have three hens to the three drakes, two of the hens will be going to the freezer. So I'll be keeping a team of one and three. And then from there, um, we will just use those as a breeding team going forward. And then next year, I will incorporate um, a couple more and pick out three more hens to one more drake. So I'll have two completely separate breeding teams. So then if they intertwine, then it will minimize exactly what I have going forward for too much crossbreeding. Does that make sense? So yes, the waterfowl, the turkeys, and the chickens will all be processed here within the next two weeks. And then we finally get to rest into the month of um, November. My goats are getting moved into a new barn, which is closer to the house because they need to work on that side of the property. And I'm excited because that side of the property has not been cleared in eight years. Oh my goodness. Yes. I'm very thrilled by that. Now, here's the thing. Penny is coming up in age. She's an older, um, uh, an older breed. And um, Sylvie is actually seven years old. I am really seriously thinking, and I know Justin's going to disagree with me on this, but I'm seriously thinking of incorporating the boars onto this property after all. At one point, I was like, nope, I'm going to wait. I don't want to incorporate them. That's not what I really want to do. I don't want to keep, you know, a male, intact male on the property and have to worry about him, you know accidental breedings and things like that. So I think that I am going to, because we don't know how long we're going to be here for sure yet. So I, I'm really seriously considering bringing back the borers onto the, bringing borers onto the property. It's been a dream of mine to do that and utilize them for a red meat source, but so many circumstances have prevented us from doing that. But now that I see I need to have the goats here to help with the land. I might as well at this point incorporate them. So stay tuned. We will see if I end up bringing those guys back. I don't know yet. I really don't know. Oh my gosh, the property, the property. It's always work, isn't it? It's always work. Regardless if you are an urban homesteader or if you're homesteading on small acreage or if you're running a, a hundred acre farm, the property is always work and it always will be. And that's totally fine. That's what we sign up to do. It's ever evolving. It's changing. It's modifying, you know, and I think that we need to give ourselves grace on the things that we don't complete and finish because I have to remind myself of that every single year because something comes up every single year. And, you know, I had to reroute our money, you know, our back deck. We had to tear it out because it was rotting. It's still not up. We did finish the kitchen garden, but the back deck wasn't done because I needed to reroute the money elsewhere and take that money away from the material cost that I would have bought. So with that said, in the spring, then we will regenerate the money back into the deck and completing the deck. That's our first project. Now, what else is on the property? Oh, my gosh. The equipment shed did not get done. And oh, I am still pushing for that one. I'm not going to lie. I am still pushing for the equipment shed to get done. Uh, the uh, goat barn will be done here because we do need to move the team over as quickly as possible because um, the area where they're being housed at right now needs to get cleaned out by the um, by the by the poultry basically i need the chickens to get in there and scratch there's a beautiful uh fur that protects the area so they won't get rain on quite as much and then i want them to really work that area scratch it out clean it out and then um once the goat barn is done i will actually breathe a lot better to be honest with you because i'm just needing to have that structure done the rabbit barn still didn't get done but we had to redirect somewhere else so always evolving. Spring is going to be a big list for us. We've got a lot of garden tending to do. Um, the raised beds need to be redone, especially the three original ones that are back there. So 
you know, as we move into it, yes, I have a list of projects that need to be done. And then I keep asking myself, why do I keep adding to this list if we're not going to stay and we're going to sell? Well, like I said, it's all going to depend on the market and the market in this area specifically because our next homestead is going to be the forever homestead. And we want that to be a minimal mortgage. So the higher we can sell this place at, the better it is for us in the end of carrying a very minimal mortgage at the next place. So, yes, projects need to be done. I can't even say it enough because every time I think about it, my heart just kind of palpitates really fast. And, you know, and I'm like, oh, so much to do. And I just want you to know that it's not a lone feeling. You know what I mean? We always have so much to do. And then we go into the winter months and we're like, okay, so we're hyped come spring. <laughs> and then we go, okay, realistically, what can we do? I mean, I've already got five projects into next spring. And I know that Justin's schedule doesn't allow me five projects. So I need to really think about this as I move forward. And I want to, anything that's open and incomplete, I really want to tackle. But the goat barn will be done 100% here in the next two weeks because I'm not, I, I can't, I cannot go another winter where the goats are housed. I need to move them. And um, yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's really going to happen. A lot of us say that, you know, home is everything, right? Home is where everything is and we're supposed to rest as homesteaders and farmers and whatever we are, gardeners or whatever the case is, because we work our bums off, you know, from spring until early fall. And we do all the things. We do all the things. We start seeds, we grow, we tend, we preserve. And if you're raising livestock, we're taking care of that all at the same time. And our home is supposed to be our sanctuary for where we're at and prepare us to just be indoors a lot more and to rest a lot more. And in the past, I love my home. My home is beautiful to me. My home is decorated to who I am to a T because no homes are the same, right? Nobody likes the exact same things. We might like the same genre of things, but how we decorate it is our own personal space. Now, this is where the emotional aspect of something comes in and how we prepare ourselves to go into darker days, a longer, darker days, I should say, longer, darker days and coldness. And for, for us that live on the coastal Pacific Northwest, rain, nine months of rain, it wears on our emotions. It really does. I mean, I already lack, I'm vitamin D deficient living here. So I have to take supplements for something like that. Um, at one point I was even under a, a light when I first moved here. So imagine the emotional, I've never hid that I have um, very, very strong seasonal depression and strong seasonal anxiety and winter months are horrible for me. I really want to take this minute to share with you guys a few things that I've learned that I will be incorporating this winter to actually be a little bit more successful, I feel, in being able to survive these long couple of months coming up and how I'm going to actually embrace them. So this is what we're going to go into next, home, emotional, and whatnot. Yes, I love to talk about everything, but this to me is going to be a lot more encouraging for a lot of you guys to get through this time. So I don't want to go too heavy into this emotional aspect right now because I really want to give you guys the time, but, but I'm going to give you some sneak peeks of a podcast that's coming up here. Um, only because like I said, um, the seasonal depression, anxiety, and, um, just getting through this time of the year is so hard for many, me included. And so I want to really, really work through this with you guys and to learn how to incorporate this time of the year of being in the house all the time. And if you have like mental health issues, like 
like many of us do, then I want to be able to work through that with you guys. So this might be for you personally, or this might be for somebody that you know. Okay, so let's talk about a couple of things that I'm incorporating this year. And then I'm going to stop there with that. Not to tease you guys to go any further, but because I think it takes more than just a simple podcast like this. Okay, so for me, this is what I'm doing this year. And I'm just going to tell you, and then we're going to talk about it deeper else at a different time. Okay, so for me, I'm going to embrace the cozy. <laughs> I am. I'm going to embrace the cozy of winter, which is hard for me because I am such an outdoors girl. I grew up in Hawaii. I grew up in Florida. My family was a military family, you know, to maximize where we were stationed. We traveled a lot in the country in which we were at. So moving to Washington state has really stifled that outdoor personality in myself. So I am working on embracing the cozy of winter done. I'm done. I am going to embrace it. I'm going to love it. I think it would be a lot easier if we got snow. However, it's the rain that makes the embracing cozy difficult. Okay. And when I say that it's because my house is over almost always damp. The wood stove has got to be burnt. Like today, it's not that hot. Well, not that cold outside, but I had the wood stove going because I've got to dry out my house because of all the rain. So this year I'm okay with that. And I think I'm okay with that because we are prepared in the amount of wood that we have that I could do this without a problem. I have a completely uh, enclosed cast iron stove. So I don't get to see the prettiness of the fires that happen that we burn you know, on a regular basis here. But what I do have are candles, which I will be utilizing a lot more of. I have changed the bulbs in my house also. And the reason why is because I do have an eye condition that is um, stemming from an autoimmune um, issue that I have and um, bright lights, daylight bulbs, which I used to have in my house were aggravating the condition. So now, you know, my children like to think I'm doing this because I want this farmhouse feel, but it truly is a condition that I'm working towards for my health. And I'm going to actually switch out the bulbs, the bright daylight bulbs that I have. And I'm going to be incorporating a little bit more of a, like a Edison type of dim light. That's going to help us as well too. I'm going to actually also put out more white items in the house. For example, I just got a white sheet from the Goodwill, um, beautiful lace white sheet on one end that I will be putting onto some of our darker furniture to brighten up that space a little bit. And I know that sounds stupid to a lot of you guys, but in truth, it does help. Dark furniture in a dark house on a dark day is really down. It's going to pull you down. Add for just the winter months, a sheet over something that's in a white or a, a, a cream color or, you know, something very light will actually help rebound a lot of that, especially for those of you guys who live in the dark like I do. If you don't live in the dark and you've got a lot of light coming into your house and the snow is reflecting that light, by all means, don't do what I'm telling you to do. Okay. But I'm telling you what I'm doing. Okay. So then on top of the candles and the sheets to reflect some lighting, taking away that bright light all the time, you know, I will have my kitchen with a bright light, but then in the living room, I have bright lights in the ceilings, but I also have lamps around too that I can actually turn off those bright lights and then have a little bit of a dimmer light. So I'm creating this cozy feel within my house. Um, 
basically putting pots full of lemons and citrus or diffusing um, citrus essential oils is going to really help me through this year. I mean, if you don't want have essential oils or you don't have a diffuser, throw some orange, dry some oranges and put them on your pot over your wood stove. That alone is going to help you out quite a bit. And remember, keep a schedule throughout the whole time. Don't sleep in until 7.30 because the sun isn't going to rise until 7.30. Get up at your scheduled time. That's going to be hard for me. That is going to be the hardest for me, but that is what I'm geared towards. The second thing that's going to help me out, um, mainly in the house, maybe that's not the second, what are we on the fifth? I don't even know. The next thing that's going to help me out throughout the house is getting up at a scheduled time, and I just said that, but making my bed making my bed. If that is the only thing that you get done in your home on that day is making your bed and picking up your room, then so be it. So be it because it's going to make you feel good in the end. So those are my tips, but we're going to talk more about that in a later episode. So that's where we're at with that. So I hope that helps you guys out a little bit in getting ready to prepare for winter. Get your candles, get your wood stove ready, get something sizzling in a, in, in a citrus form for sunshine, for scent, for smell recognition, whatever it is, into your house as well too. And then if you have a dark house, throw a light color sheet over your furniture. It is going to help. I promise you, I just threw it on yesterday and I already feel that the house is much brighter than it was the day before. So I'm telling you, it's an emotional shift. It really is. All right. So that's all I got this episode. Basically, I wanted to just give you a recap of where we're at, what we're doing. And sometimes it always sounds the same. But in truth, homesteading is about patterns. And if you hear my dogs, I'm sorry. So homesteading is about patterns and things that need to get done. And sometimes, you know, it always helps to hear that someone else might be overloaded more than you. Or you might turn around and go, oh, my gosh, I'm in the same boat that she is. You know, whatever the case is, it's it's, it's where it's at. I mean, I think about this podcast and which direction I want to go with it. Do I really want to do a tutorial based podcast or do I really want to talk to you guys and, and really see, is this something that you guys need more of the encouragement aspect of it? Cause sometimes for therapeutic reasons for myself, I think talking about it with you guys, the aspect and the motion behind homesteading really helps me out as a whole. And sometimes it's good to hear that you're succeeding and it's good to hear that you're failing and it's good to hear that, you know, somebody else is suffering or succeeding with you. Because in truth, homesteading is a lonely community if you don't have individuals who do it with you, right? So let me be my your voice of doing it with you through your chores, through your coffee, through your morning, through getting ready for bed, whatever the case is. And um, let's do this together because winter is coming, you know, to quote Jon Snow from Game of Thrones, winter is coming and we've really got to get through it and make it to spring and we're going to do it together. And that's what we're going to do. All right. There it is. You guys, episode 19 done said basic recap of where we're at in the fall season and um giving you a sneak peek of what's going to be coming forward which is basically learning to how to homestead through these winter months and learning what you can do so this is where the excitement comes in 2021 is going to really change a lot of things for a farm girl in the making and i hope you stick along and journey with us because not only are we really going to incorporate a couple of new things it's going to encompass you to learn as well too. 
as a community. So we will be launching in 2021 e-courses in regards to homesteading as a whole, um, preserving foods, growing tips, DIYs, um, raising livestock, it, the whole shebang of homesteading. So stay tuned for that. But our focuses for 2021 are going to be from garden to pantry and then from pantry to table. And we're going to do a little bit of sneak peek in this these next couple of winter months about um, basically pantry to table. And what does that mean and how we are going to maximize everything that we put up as homesteaders and everything in the food pantry, everything in the root cellar, everything in your cold storage space, everything in your freezer, and how we can utilize that going forward. And there will be an actual course coming out in regards to something like that for 2021. So I'm giving you a peek of 2021 and I hope you enjoy it. So you guys, I am trying to get caught up in all of the podcast ideas that I have and believe me, there are a lot of them. So during certain times, there may be two podcasts a week. I understand if that's a lot for you guys, choose to skip and pick and choose and listen to the ones that you want to hear. However, I have all these thoughts and they're running through my mind and it's time to basically vomit them out because we're going to have time these next couple months as um, the days are long, the days are shorter and the nights are longer and I get to podcast a little bit more. All right, you guys, I will see you shortly for episode 20 and um, have a great week and I'll talk to you guys soon.